55 years old. Uh, you know, it's going to be interesting to see what happens in the next 15, 20 years um, when those people do um, pass away. What's going to happen with, you know, I'm assuming that a large, aside from foreign buyers potentially, um, but I'm assuming these aren't people working, you know, standard nine to fives. They're just paying off their mortgage in five years, right? Uh, to be mortgage free, you've either been paying it for many years. So kind of fitting into that baby boomer class or someone who's buying a cash, uh, as a, as a foreign investor potentially, or I guess it could be, you know, a local investor, but I can't imagine that half of the homeowners in Toronto are just your average mom and pa working their nine to five, paying their mortgage off. But, you know, yeah. So. You're listening to the Ottawa Real Estate Podcast with your hosts, Paul Stevenson, David Warren, and Greg Campbell. Let's see what's going on in the world of real estate today. Good morning. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the Ottawa Real Estate Podcast, where we bring you the latest news and insights on the dynamic and ever-changing real estate market in Ottawa, Canada's capital city. Our show is designed to keep you informed and up to date on the trends, developments, and opportunities in the local real estate industry. Whether you're a seasoned real estate investor, a first-time home buyer, or simply curious about the market, our expert guests and hosts are here to provide you with valuable insights, tips, and strategies that can help you make informed decisions about buying, selling, or investing in Ottawa's real estate market. So sit back, relax, and join us as we explore this fascinating world of Ottawa real estate. <laughs> <laughs> wow uh, yeah that was uh great intro great intro you. right off the cuff right off the yeah, cuff just, just off the top like of my head the top of your dome I that like was it. uh that was chat gpt wrote that for us this morning uh, right before we came on i thought it'd be hilarious um my name is paul stevenson i'm here with david warren it forgot to mention that thanks chat gpt um greg is in transit he won't be joining us today but uh how's the week going david how are you doing good good i uh I'm in Orlando right now with the family and uh, did Disney yesterday, which was an interesting uh, experience for any of those that have actually been to Disney. It uh, is exhausting, frustrating. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> How are the lines? Holy frig. I, I, it's outrageous. It's outrageous. Like, period. We even Walk got, me we through got, we Disney paid, these like, days. We, I, I, we, last, we, when I went, I was a year like old. like 30 bucks. So, okay, go ahead. Sorry. When I was a year old. No, I was a year old. That's it. I just want to know oh. what, what what's changed. <laughs> so it's massive, but so they have, I mean, you get fleeced at every, you know, in every capacity in any way they can, you know, upsell you on anything, but we paid an extra 30 bucks for this ability to skip the line, mm -hmm. um, which obviously is like great when the lineups are 60 to an, uh, 60 to two hours long to get on a ride, um, which it's horrible, uh, but you can only book one ride, and then you can only book the next. And uh, and the um, and, and really, you know, it's some rides you can't get until like you get there in the morning. And even on that skip the line thing, you can't even book them till like eight p.m. It'll be like yeah, yeah it'll be like eight p.m. or something. Like that, and you can't you can only book one at a time. Anyways, it was just absurd. Um, anyways, long day. We just we didn't even stay. There's like fireworks at like eight. We just cut it early and just got the heck out of there at like five thirty. We're like, we're done. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, at least your your uh, your son is young <laughs> oh. enough to uh, to not even know what's happening. So I was like, oh, no. oh yeah, <laughs> great. Let's go home. Perfect. That's that yeah. awesome. Oh, yeah. um, no. Was it uh, is that Universal Studios or is that no? Just it's Disney like World? it's Disneyland. Magic Kingdom. 
Magic mm-hmm. Kingdom. And I don't know. There's all the anyways. Yeah. Don't know if I'll ever be going back there again. <laughs> no. I've heard similar stories, but uh, I've never ventured. I've never ventured. Um, How was your weekend? Uh, weekend was good. Lots of hockey. Happy family day, everyone. Delayed. Belated. Um, it went to the Sens game on Friday against Chicago. That was pretty fun. It was the first time we'd gone as a family in a long time. Uh, obviously, not cheap to go to a game these days. Um, but it was fun. They lost in overtime, unfortunately. But uh, mm-hmm. boys are buzzing. You know, they're playoff bound. We're, uh, we're going to beat the Leafs in the first round. So uh, that's <laughs> what I'm calling it now. Uh, anyone watching. Uh, but outside of that, just uh, yesterday... Uh, hung out with my brother and his family, and um, we had a game last night, which we lost, unfortunately. And uh, here we are, holiday Monday. Getting ready to go. More hockey. More hockey this afternoon. And more mortgages. (laughs) Yeah, more mortgages. More mortgages. Um, So, switching gears. uh, Might as well actually talk about real estate while we're here. So, uh, Canadian Home Sales. was reading an article today. Canadian Home Sales in January... Totals at lowest since 2009. Uh, so that was from the Canadian Real Estate Association. So it says Canadian home sales figures in January dropped to their lowest level since 2009, a year when the after effects of the Great Recession were roiling economies around the world. Uh, according to the latest data from the C- from the from Korea, national home sales declined 3% month over month in January, while Canadian sales had tiny bumps throughout the final months of 2022. Korea noted this decline effectively erased all of December's gains. To me, I don't think this really says much. However, the last couple of years, January has been a very, very busy month. So, you know, 3% month over month from December isn't surprising, but, um, you know, 9, 9% uh, total does seem like a fairly decent drop from past Januarys because, you know, January's, as I said, the last couple of years has been quite busy. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it is interesting that the... Uh that it's the slowest since 2009. I mean, obviously that, uh, that's, you know, quite a ways away ago now. Uh, mm-hmm. And obviously after a huge, uh, you know, global impact in the economy, obviously uh, this is a direct uh, cause of, or effect of, of all these rate increases and kind of that fear in the market of, you know, what are prices going to do and, and rates just being, um, you know, unaffordable for a lot of people from a qualifying or just scared off of, you know, what they should do. Um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how this kind of, again, like how it continues to ripple. I know we've talked about before any rate increases uh, takes, you know, three to four months from the last one, like from one, three to four months ago for it to ripple through the economy. And we've had uh, so many successes, you know, ones in succession. So it'll be interesting to see like how these sales figures kind of continue. I know we talked about the last couple of weeks of us, personally and in our circles of, of, you know, seeing kind of more purchase agreements and more buyers within Ottawa. I know that obviously Ottawa's, you know, there's more sales within Ottawa that versus, you know, some of the other markets like the East coast and, and things like that, but it is certainly driven mostly predominantly by the Toronto's and Vancouver's those obviously affect the numbers more significantly. So um, I think it's interesting to look at the whole nation as a whole um, and what they're like, what are the sales numbers are there, but, but certainly, you know, again, this being the Ottawa real estate podcast, each market is more localized and it is affected differently. Um, obviously our sales are down within Ottawa, like from a volume standpoint, this isn't prices being down to, to 2009 levels. This is just number of transactions. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, over the coming uh, weeks, it'll be interesting to see kind of those 
those figures as they continue to go. Because I'm still seeing like tons of pre-approvals coming in and, and not tons, like obviously not the same volumes of 2020, yeah, but, but pretty, pretty darn steady for sure. I, don't know yeah, I agree. Seeing. I'm seeing the same thing. And that's why when I see these numbers, I'm kind of surprised because um, it does seem like the market is still moving, at least in Ottawa. Uh, the, one of the quotes in the article here, it says early 2023 feels a lot like 2019, where after a year in which it became harder to qualify for a mortgage, everyone was wondering if the market would pick up in the spring. And then obviously we know 2019, 2021 kind of things went off. Um, it says in 2019, the market started to started off slow as there wasn't much to buy. It took off once spring listings started to come out. So there, it does actually have a graph here uh, showing some of the major cities around well, it starts with provinces and then it kind of gets into some of the cities uh, showing the average price and then the annual price change. I'm just trying to see if this annual price change is just year over year for January. That's the way I'm reading it. Um, but it looks like for all of Ontario, the average price right now is just under 800,000, 798, uh, which is an annual price change of uh, 20, like a, a negative 20%. That's actually the largest in, in all of Canada, according to this graph. Uh, some other ones to mention, Barrie and surrounding district, 778 average, uh, that's down 17%. And then Ottawa, uh, average price 603,900, that's down 10.7%. Uh, again, assuming year over year based on, on these numbers. There are a few places that have gone up. So if you bought in uh, Halifax or Dartmouth, you're doing all right, mm -hmm. up 5%. Uh, Calgary, still up 6%. And St. John's, so East Coast seems to be... Uh, Seems to be the place to be right now. Five point four percent in St. Yeah, John's. I know we were talking about this uh, uh, over the past few days about kind of those different markets, and it's exactly what I just said. You know, what we we're just saying about you know these are national numbers, and and it certainly matters of where you are localized um, mm -hmm. because the markets are so significantly different depending on what that industry is driving. That you know, Calgary, the oil industry is doing well and and thriving there, and there's a lot of growth. East Coast, people are migrating a lot from some of the bigger cities, from Toronto, from Vancouver, from Ottawa, um, you know, to these more affordable cities in the East Coast. And, and so you're seeing that drive there and other economic factors. I can't speak to, you know, the exact factors in, uh, in St. John's or, uh, or, or Halifax driving that, but it is certainly something where, you know, reading headlines when they're kind of looking at the national scale is going to skew maybe your view where you're really should be focused on what is going on in your immediate market um, and not just kind of relying on that clickbait headline, if you will, mm -hmm. uh, to, to kind of do your research and, and come to that conclusion because there is uh, a lot of different factors and the numbers do really um, vary between, between markets. It, it does say here too that the national inventory is currently sitting at 4.3 months, which I think I remember you saying that three yes. months is kind of the, is a balanced market. Uh -huh. So now mm -hmm. we're getting to a point where we got... Uh, Four, almost four and a half months of, uh, of inventory nationally sure. again. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, yeah, I mean, there's, uh, again, I, I think it'll be interesting to see how this plays out over the next few months with, from an inventory standpoint, if that continues to go up, if it starts to come down, stays level, whatever it may be. Um, and that's, and, and as the market, you know, depending on, you know, we've got a rate announcement by the Bank of Canada March 8th. Um, so depending on, on what they do there, uh, how that plays out and, um, you know, and kind of just going, you know, kind of just seeing like how the market reacts to that, how inventory levels react to that. And, and uh, yeah, I think the next coming couple of months will, will be telling. Yeah. You were mentioning Vancouver and, and Toronto being major 
players in that uh, in all basic national statistics. I was reading. I mentioned that touched on this last week. Uh, a Globe Mail article talking about uh, half of the Vancouver homeowners are mortgage free, and I think that obviously speaks to foreign investment, previous foreign investment. Um, but it does say here that uh, it says Vancouver residents are grappling with the highest real estate prices in Canada, and yet the city has the highest percentage of households without mortgages. So uh, it says half of Vancouver owner households are mortgage-free, according to census analysis. And uh, housing in BC and other parts of Canada and story are both abundance and famine. Yeah, so where was it here? Anyways, long story short, the point, the reason why I'm saying this is because mm. I feel like, um, you know, those, you obviously have much more leverage if you're, if you're mortgage-free as far as um, being able to continue to, you know, buy homes or even sell homes, knowing that that, that mm. money's all coming back into your pocket. So I just wonder, you know, what, or I'm interested to hear what you think, like how that, how that impacts the uh, Vancouver market. Because I'm sure it's similar. I haven't seen the numbers for Toronto, but I would imagine that it's probably quite similar um, as far as, you know, homes that are mortgage-free. Yeah, I think, I mean, certainly if somebody is mortgage-free, they're, you know, they're, they're able to sit on it longer. You know, they're not being impacted by the rates. They're not going to be rushed to sell it, if, whether it's investment or owner-occupied. Mm -hmm. um, I think. Again, you know, those sales numbers being down, it's really just from a qualifying perspective and, you know, combine that with, you know, who knows, maybe, you know, there's also that foreign buyer uh, ban right now that came mm -hmm. in beginning of January, uh, how that is impacting um, those markets as well. And, and that might be a know, big factor, actually. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, those are in Toronto and Vancouver, you know, those are where, I think it's about five. I think I saw a stat. It's around five foreign buyers make up about 5% of the purchases in Canada annually. Um, you know, that's obviously going to be primarily focused in Vancouver and Toronto. I would, I would gather. Um, so you've got that impacting, you know, sales volume decrease. Uh, but yeah, those, those with um, no mortgage, I mean, they're not, they're not impacted the same way and they'll be able to hold on Um you know, I think I think the numbers would be much worse if there wasn't so many with uh, that were mortgage free. Right? You know, I think those like the markets would be in a in a you know really rough shape if uh, if that wasn't the case. Yeah, it says here Toronto. I read a bit further down. It says Toronto ranked ninth on the list with forty three percent of households mortgage free. Forty three percent. Yeah. Wow, that's pretty wild. Yeah. Now I wonder how many of the, like, I mean, we're obviously, our country at least has a large quantity of baby boomers, you know, people that are between, I don't even know what the range would be now, but let's say 55 to 85 years old, 60 to 85 years old. Uh, you know, it's going to be interesting to see what happens in the next 15, 20 years. Um, when those people do um, pass away, what's going to happen with, you know, I'm assuming that a large, aside from foreign buyers, potentially, um, but I'm assuming these aren't people working, you know, standard nine to fives. They're just paying off their mortgage in five years, right? Uh, to be mortgage free, you've either been paying it for many years. So kind of fitting into that baby boomer class or someone who's buying it cash, uh, as a, as a foreign investor potentially, or I guess it could be, you know, a local investor, but I can't imagine that half of the homeowners in Toronto are just your average mom and pa working their nine to five, paying their mortgage mm -hmm. off quickly, you know? Yeah. So I'd be, I, I, obviously they don't have a breakdown of, who those mortgage-free uh, homes belong to, but I would uh, have to assume that a lot of them are going to be um, either kind of, you know, elderly kind of baby boomers or people that uh, have bought uh, from other countries. So I'm interested to see what happens in the coming 
say 15, 20 years with that market when, um, you know, those homes likely are going to either come back on the market or be passed on to family members mm. or, you know, how that will shake things up in those, in those markets. Yeah, no, agreed. I think, you know, some, another ask, another thing that I, will be something that uh, everyone will want to watch and, or, or not necessarily watch, but it'll be interesting to see um, from a sales volume perspective. And this goes for, um, you know, this is kind of out there for mortgage brokers and for realtors um, and buyers, really. Uh, there's the banks um, put, on, put out a stat that there's 1.1 million mortgages coming up for renewal in 2023. Um, that's a huge number of mortgages that are coming up for maturity that they are going to have to be qualifying or not qualifying, but renewing at a rate that is likely anywhere from triple to double what they were before. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, their mortgage back in 2018, 2019, they were mid threes, you know, really. Um, you know, I know end of 2019, I remember, you know, fixed mortgages, like it was kind of that average of three and a quarter to three, six, five kind of thing. Um, and, and so really from a qualifying perspective, a lot of them are, you know, now going to be, if you're, you know, with the Scotia where their prices, you know, Scotiabank has some of the highest rates out there right now. So if you are a Scotia uh, client coming up for renewal, certainly shop your rate. Don't just look at renewing with Scotia. They have some of the highest out there. Um, and, uh, but, but, you know, you're getting in the fives and, and potentially with a Scotia, you're in the sixes. Um, but, you know, those are big jumps. And so it'll be interesting to see with those mortgages that are coming up for renewal. Number one, how many are investors and how many are going to be underwater where they no longer want to carry that mortgage and are going to be putting it up for sale or owner occupied properties where their payments jump and now they're underwater and kind of how that trickles down to um to the economy and what their discretionary you know discretionary spending is how that impacts their unsecured debt and rising you know unsecured debt um depleting savings all that so it'll be really you know some of that will be telling as far as how long also the bank of canada holds rates uh up and and kind of that overnight rate being high but certainly for those if you're one of those 1.1 million coming up for renewal this year uh I implore you to speak to a mortgage broker and look at other banks, what they're offering, shop around. Um, and, and it might be something where you might be, have gotten a mortgage, you know, five years ago on a 25 year AM and now you're at 20 years. Well, your payments are going to be based on 20 years on that renewal. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe it's worthwhile. If that payment is a shock and not something they're able to manage. Maybe look at refinancing. Uh, and extending that amortization out to 30 years. That adding that 10 years, yes, it's gonna, it, it sounds like you're now adding 10 years onto your mortgage because that is on paper what you're doing, but it's gonna dr- bring your payment down dramatically and you're still gonna have the ability to make lump sum payments directly to pay down that mortgage quicker uh, when you know, cash flow improves or anything like that. So you can you know, pay down that mortgage quicker, but certainly something if those payments aren't manageable for you, and you're one of those 1.1 million, like definitely look at those options, look at other banks, um, you know, have an in-depth conversation with the mortgage professional about your budget, what's affordable and, and what's out there. Um, so we yeah, I agree. And on, on that 30 year too, uh, important to keep in mind that, you know, you mentioned the lump sums, you can, you know, if you're going with a 30 amortization, that payment that you're locking in is the minimum payment. So being able to prepay that, even if you put 
most lenders allow you, you know, anywhere from 15 to 20% as a, as a lump sum even, uh, and even an increase to your monthly payment. So if your payment is, let's say $2,000, you can increase your payment by 20% and that's going to decrease your amortization by that same 20%. So if you're taking a 30 year amortization, but you're increasing your payment by that 20%, you're dropping it down to 24 years right off the bat. So you're not technically adding that full, you know, 10 years to your mortgage, but it does allow you if you're going through, if you have any hardships or, you know, one month, you need to decrease your payment back down to that 2000, you can do so. Whereas some people, <laughs> I see them, they're like, I want to pay my mortgage down as fast as possible. I know you see this too, but, uh, and they're like, oh, well, let's go, you know, accelerated bi-weekly or whatever the fastest payment method is. Um, and I always try to caution them to say, you can do that, but you can also just voluntarily increase your payments. If you select the bi-weekly accelerated on your commitment, on your renewal or on your, you know, mortgage, uh, commitment, when you buy the home, then you're committing to that payment for the full five years. There's no option to, you know, retract it. If you've run into financial hardship, if you choose a lot, the lowest payment possible and then voluntarily increase your payment. Wow. Hit my mic there. I don't know if that rang through. Um, if you set the lowest payment and increase your payment voluntarily, then at least you have the option to, to decrease it again um, when it comes time. And I was actually, I met with a, a friend of mine who's a, does, he's a wealth manager. And he was telling me this year that they had actually priced in uh, three rate increases in 2023. He, that's what they were expecting. He said that, you know, there, he was kind of explained that there's 10, I, I was trying to get him on the show today, but I kind of reached out to him last minute. Um, but basically, uh, he said there's kind of 10 buckets that they look at for, uh, for whether or not they're going to increase the rates. And one of the, you know, each one of those buckets has different tiers and different things that kind of factor into it. Um, but he said, you know, job creation is a big, a big factor involved. It has a big weighting. Uh, and obviously, there has been a lot of government jobs created in the last uh, quarter. I think he said to the tune of like 400,000 jobs had been created or something wild like that. Uh, and he said, what's happening is that, you know, the rates go up, um, inflation stays up because inflation is being, you know, it's not only the cost of everything, but also the uh, jobs being created. So if jobs are being created, um, he said it, it will actually push against inflation. So inflation will stay high because there's still jobs being created and so on. So he said, we're just kind of in this cycle right now where it's just spinning in circles. Like we're not actually... Getting people can afford people yeah. can afford those elevated prices of goods like um can still afford those high prices of, of vehicles and and things like that which drive drive inflation i mean really mm -hmm. at the end of the day they need the economy to lose jobs in order for inflation to come down that's what he's um, saying yeah and and they need unfortunately they need people to be suffering um and not be able to make to be able to buy those luxury goods or to be able to buy that vehicle and they're instead having to repair their car and patch it up instead of just replacing it because that drives inflation numbers and, you know, spending in the economy, but they need, you know, or not be able to buy those like, certain groceries and things like that. But they, yeah, they just, they need, and we said it, you know, many months ago when I came back from that uh, uh, conference in that national conference in Vancouver, uh, where they kind of commented that they need blood in the streets. They need mm -hmm. people to suffer and they need jobs lost and not these, this addition of 200,000 new jobs and, and so forth. But um, yeah, it's, uh, we're kind of in, yeah, in a weird cycle right now. But, but you know, with that, and there was something, you know, this is kind of a, uh, not a great segue, but, you know, I do want to uh, touch on as well as we kind of, uh, kind of truck along on the show is, is one, you know, something that we're talking about rates and something that, uh, that I've been seeing and, and hearing rather from uh, 
from some mortgage brokers and, and some realtors is, is uh, realtors that are advertising on their listing um, for their seller that the, that the buyer of that property could, can assume the mortgage from the, mm. the seller at their great rate. So for those of you that aren't aware, if you're in a regular mortgage product and, and most banks offer this, if you're in a, one of those low rate restricted products, uh, you do not have this ability, but um, there's a, an assumption clause or assumability clause in, mo in a lot of mortgages. What this means is that somebody can take over as long as they qualify for that mortgage. So let's say Paul has a $400,000 mortgage. The house is for sale for $500,000. I'm the buyer. I can qualify and he's got a, he's got three years remaining on his fixed rate at 1.75 and currently rates are in the fives. I, I can look to qualify to take over his mortgage. If I can qualify for those payments at the old qualifying metrics um, as well. So easier to qualify, lower payments, lower rate. I can take over, I can buy his house and take over his mortgage. So I can take over that $400,000 mortgage um, and, and assume it and all of everything that goes along with it. Um, and then Paul is, is relieved of that. Um, so what is that doing? It's, you know, it's being used kind of in a, a marketing tactic, if you will, on that listing, which I think is actually brilliant, um, you know, for buyers. And it's kind of getting, you know, some added interest in the property. Uh, and for the sellers, it's saving them on penalties to break. You know, it, it would only be three months interest, but it's still saving them on penalties to break. Um, and for the buyer, it's, you know, if, if everything works out for that, you know, on that, you know, they're taking over a, a mortgage with an absolutely great rate that you're not likely to get again um, for, you know, for a number of years. And you're going to pay down a dramatic amount uh, more of uh, a principal. So whether, uh, you know, kind of I say this as, as number one, as a realtor or, or somebody that's thinking of uh, listing their house, I might be listening, you know, this is something you could think about or, or get more information on because it might benefit you in that listing and being creative on that listing. Uh, from a marketing perspective for you as a seller, you know, might allow you to, again, move your house quicker, save on a penalty to break uh, that mortgage. If you're not looking to port it, maybe like if you don't have another property that you're looking to move that mortgage to, maybe it's an investment property or something of that nature. Um, and for buyers, something that you can also, maybe they're not advertising it, but something you could ask about. Um, and, uh, and it's something that's little used and known. It, uh, it's something that, you know, if you're looking at assuming, you know, the time that I've typically uh, facilitated, it's between family members, of, mm -hmm. you know, a, a sibling wanting to take it over from another sibling or, you know, any, or anything like that, or removing a parent off the mortgage, things like that. This is not done through, um, you know, uh, a mobile mortgage app or, or a mortgage broker. You would contact that existing bank's customer service. They'll handle the, everything. There's a small admin fee. Usually it's in like the 200 to $300 range. They'll provide you with that application for that new borrower. Uh, they'll ask for what documents you need and they go through that internally um, to qualify that, that borrower. But um, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's certainly something that they facilitate that through on the back end. And it can be an insured mortgage, a conventional mortgage. Uh, so just something to be uh, kind of aware of, of what some people are creatively doing out there now. Lots of options. And uh, that's why it's also important to speak to a mortgage professional, because these are a lot of things that people just, well, you wouldn't even think to ask that, you know, unless you're, unless you're told it or you explained it, or you're reading through your contract in detail, you, you might overlook that. And uh, it could probably help a lot of people currently. Well, something I saw this week too, 
that I found very interesting. I have a client that uh, has a new build closing in April and they bought it almost two years ago now. And basically what's happened is that they originally purchased it at essentially a million dollars a year and a half ago. Now the builder, who I won't mention, um, is coming out with the exact same model on a fire sale. So now we're getting to the point where their mortgage is about to fund. They have to do the appraisal. Like appraisals on new builds are done at 97% completion. So now they're going to basically be ordering an appraisal to have an appraisal done on a property that the same builder has that property listed for you know, 150, 200,000 less than what they paid for it a year and a half ago. So now they're going to be running into this issue where the appraisal may very well come in light um, and they're going to have to come up with that difference of the purchase. So I know there's a lot of new builds. I've been getting emails just for you know a bunch of builders that are kind of listing uh, new properties around the city. And I think this is going to be, this is probably going to happen a lot. Anyone that bought maybe a year ago, year and a half ago for new builds might run into this issue where on closing, the appraisal when it's done is coming in less than what they paid for it. So uh, something to be cognizant of and, and certainly to discuss with your, uh, with your bank or your mortgage broker as well when it, uh, when it comes time to do that, because that's usually the last step in the process. And you definitely don't want that surprise, you know, two weeks before closing. And, and, and something as well to um, be mindful of, to speak with your lawyer and the builder about as well um, of what your options are on that property that you might be coming up for closing on. Again, it's something where, um, you know, kind of not doing anything or not being proactive about it. If you're seeing this happen in an area where maybe you have a purchase agreement signed on a new build and you are seeing other listings, you know, come being listed lower, talk to your, you know, talk to your lawyer, talk to your builder. Like, you know, if, if something's being listed and sold for that same property from that same builder, for less than what you signed that purchase agreement for and you haven't closed on it, the appraisal cannot come in higher than what's being, like mm-hmm. what's available, what's being sold on the market um, at a lower rate. So um, kind of it becomes irrelevant. And we've said it before about appraisals, like it becomes irrelevant about what you decide to sign a purchase agreement for. It was the same as when people were going no conditions during 2020 to 2022 of no conditions and way over asking. You can pay, you can sign a purchase agreement for a million dollars on a $200,000 townhome. It doesn't mean the bank is going to finance it at a million dollars. It's based on what has recently sold. They look at, they look at the most recent three months sales and it has to be um, uh, listed sales. Um, So on the MLS, like MLS listed publicly, you know, listed sales. And they're looking at that transactional history for the most recent three months and it's within that vicinity of a like property. And so if you are seeing them go for a lot less, be aware of that. Ask, you know, look, look at that. Speak to an appraiser, speak to your lawyer, speak to the builder and see what your options are going to be um, of what that property that you purchased is, is likely to come back at and make, you know, plan it accordingly well ahead of time. So you're not uh, surprised 20 days before closing. Yeah. Wild West. We live in the Wild West here. Chat GPT wild, e- right. wild East. Wild East. Yeah. Wild East. Well, yeah. <laughs> West of Ottawa for me. <laughs> um, all right. Should we sign in the mood boost? Let's do it. I don't know how we just talked for 30 minutes, but we did it. Success. Yeah. <laughs> all right. I got three today. Uh, number one. Actually, we have a funny comment. One of our friends, Nick, on the uh, mood boost. He said, uh, 
he said, geez, Paul, when those, when you said those mood boosts, it looks like Dave, Dave wanted to kick you off the show. I was like, yeah, it's pretty much every week. <laughs> that happens. So I don't even have Greg to laugh this week. Uh, number one, how do two arsonists hook up? Hmm? A match on Tinder. Mm, that's a good one. I like that. I like that. Uh, number two, what did the left eye say to the right eye? Between you and me, something smells. <laughs> okay, okay. Two for two last, so far. Two for last two. Last but not least. Number three, why couldn't Dracula's wife get to sleep? Because of his coffin. Not that cough. <laughs> wow. Wow. Okay. Okay. I, I, not terrible. I'm giving, it, I'm giving it a three for three. I'm giving it a three for three. Not terrible. Uh, thank you for listening, everyone. Um, you don't have to vote anymore. Faces Awards are closed. But uh, certainly subscribe. We're, uh, we're on our road to 1,000. Uh, head over to YouTube. Give us a little sub. And uh, make sure to comment, you know, review, share. We like to answer questions. So if you have any, any uh, topics that you want us to discuss on the show, certainly slide them in the comments on YouTube. You can also listen on any podcast platform, Spotify, Google, etc., and next Tuesday night, we're going to be going live. So 7 p.m. next Tuesday, we're going to be going live. I think it's the 28th of February. So be sure to tune in. Uh, you can actually register online on YouTube. Uh, the listing is up there, so you can just register and it'll notify you, I think, an hour before we go live. So 7 p.m. next Tuesday, the 28th, we're going to go live. So bring your questions, bring your smiles, you know, bring your scotches, whatever you got. Yes, sir. Or or just subscribe and it'll get notified automatically. You know, that's, that's probably the that's probably the better way of going about it. That's true. Tell a friend. We'll make yeah, we'll make sure to bring our scotches. Yes. yes. <laughs> All right, everyone. Have a good week. See you next week. Deuces. Thanks Deuces. for tuning Deuces. in, everyone. Bye. We hope you enjoyed Bye, today's episode. Please remember to like, share, comment, and subscribe because we'd really like that.